Hi, this is Crystal Cyrus from the OOTW Podcast, and you're listening to Pop Goes Your World. I'm Chris McBrien, and the pop culture from Generation X is everything to me. And I'm Derek Myers, and I'm here to educate Chris on the great pop culture of today's generation. Episode 122, 2019, A Look Back. Chris McBrien, along with Derek Myers, Caveman. You'll find Caveman on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. And of course, you'll find me on Twitter at C McBrien. And popgoesyourworld.com is the website with all of our contact information. Before we get down to things to this week, Derek, what have you got for us in the world of pop culture? Anything new, my friend? Uh, yeah. Well, a couple of things I've been doing. Um, I have taken the opportunity with a little bit of downtime as we're coming out of the holidays mm-hmm. to watch some TV, binge some new shows that I haven't seen. Uh, I, I'm not sure if I mentioned this last week or not, but uh, on Netflix, Lost in Space Season 2. Oh, no, it, I don't think you did mention that. So it dropped on Netflix last week, and I remember watching Season 1, and I really, really enjoyed it. Uh, I, I was never a big fan of the old TV show. It was a little before my time. There was a, a movie based on that ip that came out in the 90s with uh, william hurt and matt leblanc it had some neat special effects but it was a pretty bad movie and uh so a couple years ago netflix decided to give it yet another reboot and it was Mm. done very very well they didn't they didn't spare any expense and so season two dropped i watched the whole thing this week it was great i loved it they left it set up wide open for uh season three and i'd be shocked if they don't pick it up because i gotta think it's a ratings winner so that was uh, that was taking up a lot of time. And then I was uh, sorry, I was just going to just jump in. So I was going to say, because I'm stuck in Gen X and I watch nothing new at all. I, you mentioned Lost in Space. I'm like, is this like the old Lost in Space or is this like a new reboot? Obviously, you've made it very clear it's a new reboot. So, right. Again, Hollywood, it, no, no yeah. new ideas, but hey, it's all good. But they've, they've done a, a really good spin on it where like all the care, it's all the same character names. Like it's the Robinson family and, the, and there's the boy, you know, Dan. Will Robinson yep. and there's the robot, but the robot is looks more like something out of a Marvel movie. It's not like the old Robbie the robot. And there's Dr. Smith, and it's all the characters really have their own identity. It's not just your uh, you know uh, stereotypical roles of who's who. It, it, it's it's very well done. I, I would say uh, you know Chris, you you might like it. Well, you won't like it because it's at <laughs> nine. But right. if you were to give it a Maybe shot, it. even just the first episode, I think you'd realize like. It's each season, I believe, is 10 episodes or I think the first season might have been 13 episodes and uh, they're about an hour long and they're pretty good. So that that was what I spent most of my week doing. But uh, okay. two other quick things. Um, the uh, Golden Globe Awards happened since our last podcast, mm-hmm. and I'm sure we may want to talk about that a little bit. One of the shows that won is called Fleabag. And so I've gone back. I, I had watched it, but I was familiar with the show. I went and I watched season one this week. It's a British show. There's only six episodes. They're only a half an hour each. So three hours of your time, you binge a full season. So I watched season one this week. I really enjoyed it. I think it's definitely uh, deserving of the awards it's been winning. Uh, Phoebe Waller-Cates, who is the writer, producer, star of the show, has an incredibly impressive resume. If you go and Google her or go on IMDb, like it's just mind-blowing the kind of high-quality work she's been putting out. And she deserves all of the credit that she's been getting. And this is a great one. It's very um, – 
adult oriented, mature themes. Uh, so certainly not a family friendly type comedy, but um, very well done. And uh, lastly, but certainly not least, uh, comedian Dave Chappelle won the Mark Twain Prize for American Humor in 2019. Mm. And uh, the presentation at the Kennedy Center for Dave Chappelle uh, was recorded and was broadcast on TV this week on PBS. And whether you're a huge fan of Dave Chappelle or not, it was very good. I mean, uh, most people I know are fans of Dave Chappelle. Oh, he's awesome. Uh, I like he's, him. He's not only is he funny, but he's intelligent. He's political. He's he's got this keen observational humor where, um, you know, he he points out so many things that are happening in real life and puts a funny spin on it. But in a way that you sort of go, wait a minute, should I be laughing at this? And I, I, I always felt that Dave Chappelle is is one of the best comedians of our age. Uh, I, agree. The, I agree. During the Kennedy Center, uh, during the uh, the awards presentation, they kept using the word genius. And I kept thinking, yeah, I, I, I not a word you want to throw around too liberally, but I, I would definitely support anyone who thinks that Dave Chappelle is a comedic genius is just a straight up genius in what he does and how he presents. And then at the end, he gives his eight or nine minute acceptance speech, if you will. And it's available on YouTube now. And it is fantastic. Even if you don't have time to watch the whole thing, even if maybe Dave Chappelle's not your favorite performer, I would encourage people to go onto YouTube, uh, find the Dave Chappelle acceptance speech of the Mark Twain Prize, give it a watch, give it a listen. It's it's very, very good. And he really just emphasizes the importance of comedy in society today in this political climate at this time coming into an election and why the arts and comedy in particular are important. So it was it was definitely one of the highlights of my week. Um, so I encourage people to take a look for that. Very cool. On a recent show, I mentioned that uh, you had sent me for Christmas to the family, the Bob Ross board game, which we absolutely love. Every time I play this game, it just seems like I finished dead last. And just the other night, I won my first game. So I just felt so, so happy. Yay! Oh, it was great. Oh, yes. Oh, we love the Bob Ross game. You beat two oh. children. Good for you, Chris. I know. And like I, like I mentioned to you, it's kind of an advanced game, but my kids just love it. Like, oh, it, is, it is a lot of fun to play. And so I mentioned it on a previous episode. And then Luke Martin reached out to us and said, hey, you guys should maybe do an episode on board games. And I think that's actually a pretty good idea. It's something we should probably consider. I don't know if we could do like a full top five or something like that. But I think we could probably do a whole episode just talking about board games because I have some from like Gen X that just kind of, I that I absolutely loved and they've kind of gone away. So I think I would like to do that at some point. I don't know if you're game to do that well, or not. Uh-huh, I see what you there. My, uh-huh. uh, my board game collection is probably between 200 and 250 games. I just donated about 10 or 15 games wow. to uh, the Value Village or the Goodwill when I was doing a pre-Christmas cleanup of my basement. Uh, I pulled a lot of – I had like five copies of Monopoly. I had like three chess boards, uh, nothing valuable, like just regular plastic chessboards you know sort of old school games that you would uh buy for children um although there were a few strategy games in there that i i just i knew i never play would never play again or never got around to playing and so yeah i think my board game collection is in the 200 board game ballpark so i would certainly be up for that and i would have to really rein myself in and try and talk about some games that are accessible to non-board gamers but that Mm -hmm. would uh uh you know 
sound like fun. Just, and actually, in tonight's yeah. episode, I'm actually going to talk about a couple of my favorite board games from 2019. Wow. So, so I think it's maybe like, we could probably do a top five episode on that. Because I could, I'm just thinking about it now as you were talking. I, I think I could come up with five older games that I really like a lot. So we'll just have to put that on the back burner for sure. I think sure we'll get thing. around to that. I think it'd be a lot of fun. Okay, on that note, let's get started. I am a super nerd. Dude, I don't know how you didn't get more girls in high school. Or guys, for that matter. I got nobody. <laughs> Nothing. You're a game, man. Just club them over the head and drag them yeah. off. Oh, my, my, my. And I play a lot of Dungeons & Dragons. You're not a nerd. Oh, they, women I, love them. Well, yeah, they do, but they're all nerdy women. So The Fawns is 73 years old. Raiders of the Lost Ark is basically Steven Spielberg giving a master's class on how to make a movie. I found a Fonzie shirt that I want <laughs> I for Christmas. I saw it, yeah. And my wife was like, you're not getting that. Can I finish? Can I finish? <laughs> okay, I'm finished. Okay, so we decided to take a look back at the year that just passed, as we are now in 2020, hard to believe. Uh, so we wanted to take a look back at 2019. And you actually first suggested this, that we, we do this, like from a pop culture perspective. And I didn't really know what to say, because I don't watch anything after 1989. So I'm thinking, what do I have to contribute to this conversation after all? But actually, I got thinking about it, and there's actually a few things you might be surprised but um, maybe I'll let you kind of start us off. Yeah, for sure. Let's take a look back at 2019, and we'll go back and forth and just talk about a bunch of things kind of from a pop culture perspective and what the year was like. And um, and I did a few more things that you might be – than you you know might surprise you. So uh, okay. take us away. Will do. So uh, last year, and I believe the year before, uh, you you and I last year and you and Yancey the year before did a an episode – Around this time, which was the in memoriam, and you spoke about the celebrities and the the people in pop culture and around the world that that had passed on, and you you mentioned a few that uh, really uh, you felt hit hit hard, or that that people who had an uh, you know a special place in your heart growing up that now that they're not with us anymore, uh, you wanted to give them one last hurrah. Uh, to to recognize their their greatness uh, in the year of their passing, and so you and I talked a little bit about this as we were coming to the end of 2019, and I and I said, you know, th- every year there are going to be a number of people who work in the pop culture pop culture industry that that die, and I found this year the list might have been just as long as it was in previous years, but I personally didn't feel that I had an emotional connection to nearly as many this year as I had in the previous few years. Like I remember last year when we did the show, I must have had 20 or 25 names on my list and I think I got through like seven, eight or nine of them. This year when I started going through, I really only had two or three names that I felt, okay, this is someone I want to actually give two or three minutes to and and talk about them. So I, I, I felt that I didn't have enough to cover a full episode in an in memoriam. So that's why I suggested, why don't we do a year in review, talk a little bit, you know, broad strokes, a little bit about everything. What'd you like? What'd you not like? What was successful? Uh, you know, what, uh, what were you looking forward to that maybe you didn't do as well as you had hoped? What exceeded your expectations? And as a part of that discussion, we can touch on the in memoriam. I can mention the one or two names on my list if you don't already have them on yours. I have uh, a few. I have quite a few that people that died last year suspected, that affected me. Yeah, I suspected mm-hmm. that might be the case. So, um, I don't want to start us on a grim note, so why don't we save the in memoriam for a little bit? Sure. And uh, I'm gonna, I'll just jump right in. So you and I are movie guys. We tend to to talk about movies more than anything else. Mm-hmm. So I'm gonna start with movies. Okay. So 2019 was the year where we got Avengers Endgame, okay. which was the culmination of 10 years of Marvel Comics, Marvel Studios putting out a series of full length feature films that all connected. And then this was this was it. You've got the the 
Marvel Infinity War, Marvel Endgame, part one, part two. This is where we're bringing all the characters together. We're going to wrap up all the loose ends that we've we've been putting out there. We're going to tie it all together. And it was nothing short of an event, capital E event. And it was amazing. And that was sort of the start of the year. And then towards the – well, right at the end of the year, you got a similar thing with Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. You've got a, a series that was that began in 1977 and what is it? Almost 45 years later, we got the – third part of the third trilogy as lucas always said in in his vision he had envisioned it as three trilogies with the original star wars uh being the middle trilogy and here we are 40 40 plus years later it finally finishes so you have these two incredibly financially successful franchises have both come to an end or at least hit a significant milestone and aside from these two things I really didn't feel that this year was a great year for movies. I saw a lot of movies, but I didn't necessarily feel that there were as many event movies where I had to go to the theater or where I marked the date on my calendar and said, that that's something I'm looking for. Like Marvel Endgame, as soon as they announced the date, it was on the calendar. I had the countdown on my phone. How many days till we go? How many days till we go? Even Star Wars, to a certain extent, I knew it was coming out around Christmas, and we got a little, a little more excited as it started getting closer and closer. But there was really nothing else this year that that I felt um, built up my enthusiasm, like these these two ends of these two massive franchises. Uh, now, don't get me wrong, there were some great movies, but I just didn't feel. For, for me, I didn't feel like there were as many this year as there have been in previous years. So I've got a few more I want to talk about, but I, I want you to comment on this. Mm-hmm. What do you think? I know you don't go to the theater no. as often, obviously, between your job and your kids. Your schedule is different than my schedule. Your lifestyle is different than my lifestyle. So I tend to have more free time. So I'm the guy who's running the theater every weekend. But what do you, you – know, I mean you still read the paper – well, not paper. You read the, the news online and you see things come through on your streaming service. And I'm sure you watch shows like Entertainment Tonight or you get the feeds through Twitter. What do you think about that? Okay, so uh, take a guess at how many new movies, how movies that, how many movies that came out in 2019 that I actually saw. Take a guess and see if you can guess what that number is. My guess is. is one, and that would be Star Wars. Okay, th- I actually saw two. <laughs> and and one, you could probably guess, and you already did, and that was Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker, because my son was like, we got to buy our advance tickets. So we went in, I went online, and I bought advance tickets for it. You know, like the ones that are, like the... Yep. The, the thing I like about the theaters now is versus, you know, back in back in my day, the one thing I like about theaters now is you can actually get reserved seating. Like, you oh, know yeah. exactly where your seat is, and, and, and you pay a little bit more money, but you get those seats that are, I don't know, they call them, like, D2X or something and they like move around and they shake and everything like that so it's really great so yeah so I got our tickets and we went to see the uh, the rise of Skywalker but well you know and I'm not trying to be negative right? like I just I could take it or leave it I thought it was ugh, you know and I mean you know I'm the guy that thinks they should have stopped making Star Wars movies in 1983 so like I was like ah it was just okay um but then the other movie you'll never guess in a zillion years. The other movie from 2019 that I saw was earlier in the year. It was called The Kid Who Would Be King. And the only reason I went to see it was um, I think my wife and my youngest son were out. They were busy doing something. And so I said to my 10-year-old, we got a night. Let's. What do you want to do? He's like, let's go to the movies, daddy. I'm like, okay, no problem. What do you want to go see? He said, there's a movie I want to go see called The Kid Who Would Be King. So I took my 10-year-old son to see this movie. 
And it was like, it was this British movie. It had a bit of a, a Time Bandits kind of feel to it. So like, that's a good thing. You know, was time, it uh, was it like a reimagining of uh, Connecticut Yankee and King Arthur's Court? Somewhat, somewhat, okay. yes. So he had to like get the sword and like pull it out of the stone and all that kind. Of, so yeah, it was kind of similar to that. Um, and like I say, it reminded me of Time Bandits a lot. And I've already introduced that movie. It's a, a 1981 Terry Gilliam film. I've introduced that to my son, and my son loves it. You know, so it had a bit of a feel to that. Even he said, "Oh, this is like kind of like Time Bandits. I like this." So it was okay. You know, nothing spectacular. So I was able to see two movies from 2019 and neither one of them I really actually cared for all that much. So I agree with you and everything that you said that it just didn't seem like a great year for movies. And like, I, I obviously don't keep up on a lot of the, the the newer stuff, but I feel like the year before is the year before when Get Out came out. Uh, I think it was two years before. Okay. Because I really like that movie. I thought that was good. But I just, yeah, I thought the same thing this year. I was like, ah. Well, nothing really spectacular. So, yeah, I saw so, two movies. <laughs> you know. So, um, uh, just to, to to touch on this a little bit more, then. So, um, I'm gonna I'm gonna go forward and then and then put it in reverse for a minute. So, I think the reason that we we or me uh, probably feel this way is that the way movies are disseminated to the movie going public has changed. It is changing it based is, on technology. Yeah. We are in we are in a point where the way like traditional television viewing, traditional movie going viewing are changing because everybody has a digital device in their pocket and nobody wants to be locked in a dark theater where they can't pause the movie, you know, be on two screens at once while they're watching it and playing on their phone. Um, the, the, the whole cultural, uh, you know, phenomenon of going to a movie has changed. It, it is not necessarily something that appeals to a younger audience the way it used to. And hey, I'll admit, even as an older viewer, when I watch movies at home, it's rare that I put the phone down for two hours and don't touch it at least once while I'm looking at but the movie. Even, you know, even if it's just to look up the trivia or who is that actor. Right. And um, that's fine. But that's unfortunate. That is really, truly unfortunate, I think. And it's not just the, the old timer and me talking. It's just, there's something about going to the theater. The the lights go down. It's a big screen. But the, the, this is the thing that gets me the most. When you're in the theater, it's that shared experience that you have with a bunch of other people watching a movie that was always so magical for me when I was younger and we'd go to the movies. And now that's lost because like you said, now we just watch it on a streaming service while we're on our phone on IMDb looking up, you know, who the actor is in it. And it's just not the same. I, that's why I think anyway. No, I agree. And, and the, um, um, the thing is when you go to the theater, like you said, the shared experience, there are a lot of times, and this happens more and more free and has been happening for years. When my wife and I go see movies, You'll have uh, some jokes, maybe some inside jokes or a reference, an older reference to like a pop culture something or other. And a lot of times she and I are the only two people in the movie theater that will laugh at a joke because it's quote unquote too intelligent for the vast majority of people that come into the movie. Either they're not paying attention, which I think is true in many cases, or the the person who wrote the movie is maybe of our generation and they sneak in a lot of those little, uh, you know, 70s and 80s pop culture style references where younger audiences today either don't have an appreciation or don't have an interest or they just don't have the, the years behind them so that they could have seen these movies that 
it's just it's a it's a joke they don't get because they're not they don't have that frame of reference. And in a lot of cases, even when we go see comedies, we find this happens more and more. Unless it's a, you know, uh, punch him in the face and make a fart noise kind of comedy, a lot of times the the more subtle aspects of the humor tend to go way over the audience's head. And, you know, 10, 15, 20 years ago, that it didn't feel like that was the case. It was more like you said, that shared experience of everybody was there. Now, I would think most of the time, everybody in a theater, no matter what, uh, for the vast majority of them, they're going to have a good time. Uh, assuming it's a movie that's not just, you know, not a, a horrific uh, movie that where there's, you know, killing and mass murders and emotional turmoil and stuff like a movie that's supposed to be a feel good movie or an action movie. People are going to come out with that emotional high. Like when we went to see Avengers, everybody came out of the movie cheering and yeah, yeah, yeah. And same with Star Wars. It's like, oh, my God, you have people crying. Oh, my God, the thing's over. But I'm so happy. And it was Star Wars. Uh, so you definitely still have that. Uh, it's just unfortunate that fewer and fewer people are going to the movies on a regular basis. Yeah. It, it's interesting that you mentioned sort of the streaming service kind of taking over because I mean I've I've been caught up in it too and, and as much as I like I said I enjoy going to the movie theater and having that shared experience and watching it on the big screen it just where I am at in my life right now having young kids and stuff it's a lot harder for me to get there to do it. So one thing that I did in 2019 was I actually got Disney Plus and you know what? I, I really like it. It's awesome. It is so, so good. So it's obviously got the Star Wars movies on there, which I just love. So I've got the Star Wars. But then it's got a couple other things. It's got a lot of um, animated films like from the 70s and 80s in there too. And there were some good ones back then, like things like The Rescuers and The Aristocats and things like that and Robin Hood. And I've been able to introduce these to my kids and we actually found a couple ones that were even older than that like from the 60s that Disney Plus has on and we were watching The Shaggy Dog and I'm like this is like such an old movie and it was so good and and so I feel that Disney Plus is great it's great for, for us anyway as, as a family because it's been able to introduce some of the older stuff to a younger generation and in the comfort of your own home at your own time. So that's what I like about Disney Plus is that it's convenient, but it also has a lot of older stuff on it. So, of course, I'm on board with that. Yeah. And uh, speaking of uh, Disney Plus, I, I have not subscribed to Disney Plus sort of for the opposite reasons that you have. I don't have young children. I don't have the the immediate need or desire to to dig into the Disney vault. And when I even suggested to my wife, hey, why don't we try it out? She she turned to me with this very stern look and said, why do you want it? I said, well, the, the, it's going to have the new Star Wars series, The Mandalorian. And she's like, okay, why else do you want it? I'm like, well, it's going to have all the Marvel movies. She points over to the shelf. You own every Marvel movie. <laughs> I'm like, well, it has all the Star Wars movies. She keeps pointing. You have own them all, all the Star Wars movies. And I, was, and I started rhyming down the list. I'm like, well, they have all the episodes of Simpsons are going to be up there soon. And she points... You own all the episodes, like all the things that I was saying. Oh, it has all the classic cartoons. She keeps pointing like she doesn't even no. move her hand back. She's like, you own everything you just said. You already own. Why would you pay them $10 a month or $12 a month or whatever it is for the convenience of being able to pull it up on a live stream mm -hmm. instead of just pulling it off the shelf and watching the one you already paid for? She's like, it's your money. If you want it, throw it away. That's fine. But she's like. I'm telling you, this is not a good use of your money. And I said, well, what about the Mandalorian? So we had a little <laughs> side chat about that. I still haven't watched the Mandalorian yet, so uh, I'll get around to it eventually. I haven't um, watched it either, but my son, who's 10, he watched it. He loved it. 
He thought it was yeah, just great. So most of my nerd friends are really uh, were really keen on it. Really enjoyed it. They said some episodes were better than others, but broad strokes, everybody seems to enjoy it. Only a few of my nerd friends were very critical, but those are the same people that every time a new Star Wars movie comes out, they find twelve things wrong with it. Yet they go to the theater to see it five times. So mm-hmm. yeah. you know, it's right. kind of hard to be objective. Um, so we're talking about streaming. Mm-hmm. So um, Netflix on Netflix this year, uh, there were some. Very, very significant releases. I'm just going to read a short list here, and I've seen most of these myself, and most of them are quite good. You have The Irishman, Marriage Story, High Flying Bird, The Laundromat, Dolomite Is My Name, and The Two Popes. These are all movies that very, very much could be and should be and probably will be in contention for Oscars. These were all great movies. Uh... Some for different reasons, just for the the, the sort of experimentation that very famous uh, and very talented movie people were able to do. But when you have The Irishman, which is the Martin Scorsese epic that brings together uh, De Niro and Pacino and Joe Pesci, um, and you have what should in every right be a huge theatrical release in the potentially as big as something like The Godfather – but you have it on a streaming service where people can watch it in their own home. Now, it did get a, a theatrical release. I do know some people that actually went and saw this three-and-a-half-hour epic in the theater. It's one long movie without an intermission. Um, and and those people certainly experienced it in a different way than I did because I had to break it up over two nights. I watched it on Netflix. But you have these stories, these, these movies that are critically uh, praised by the powers that be. Uh, like Mar- Marriage Story is another good example. Um, it's got Adam Driver and Scarlett Johansson and it's uh, about a couple that's going through a, a very emotional breakup and they're trying to figure out who's going to get custody of the kid and where they're going to live and it's this emotional roller coaster and it's this great movie that is certainly going to be nominated for awards it was already nominated for a bunch of Golden Globes and it's like it's it just boggles your mind that five years ago this would have been a theatrical release and you would go to the theater to see it and now the only place you can see this is on Netflix. This came out in your living room. And this has a chance of being one of the best movies of the year, uh, like being awarded as one of the best movies of the year. Same with The Irishman. Could have been – it could win the Best Picture Oscar. Can you imagine that? The Best Picture Oscar is like where was the first place you ever saw this? Oh, well, I watched it on Netflix. Like mm-hmm. the, the idea that these streaming That almost happened with now, Roma last year, right? So, absolutely. Yeah. And another fantastic example. So you have these streaming services and again, it's it's – taking advantage of the way technology is changing to put this art form in front of the most people you possibly can. Uh, now, unfortunately, Netflix doesn't have the same reporting requirements as, say, ABC, NBC, CBS, your major networks. So we don't necessarily know what the ratings of these things are like. But from time to time, Netflix puts out like these press releases where they'll say 20 million people watch Bird Box this weekend. And you're like, are you kidding me? And you do a little math and you say like, if it was 20 million people and they had all gone to the theater and they paid 10 bucks each, like those numbers are staggering. And yet it's coming out on Netflix. So on the one hand, you you are able to have more people watch these shows than they might ever norm. Like I don't think any – well, a very small number of people who watch Marriage Story on Netflix would have probably gone to the theater to see it. It's not an Avengers movie. It's not bringing people in in droves. It appeals to a very limited audience. But if you see it show up on your Netflix queue, you're like – yeah, I got an hour. Let me give it. Let me try it. Let me see what this first hour is like. And I think a lot of people did that and went, "This is pretty good. I'm gonna keep watching this." Um, and and I think that's 
that's going to be uh, more and more the way people uh, enjoy their movie-going experience is going to be in their home. And most of us have giant flat-screen TVs anyway, so mm-hmm. why not? And, you know, I'm really glad that you mentioned the streaming services and that, and just kind of bringing up the fact that that's how a lot of people consume movies nowadays because I'm one of them. So I saw two movies, like I said, in the theater. You know, I mentioned that earlier. But I also watched two movies from 2019 on streaming this year. And one of them you've already mentioned, and that was Bird Box because, like, I heard so much about it. On social media, there's all these people talking about it. So I'm like, well, I got to figure out what this is all about. So my wife and I watched Bird Box. It was all right. And then another one that I watched on streaming was a documentary called The Fire Festival. Oh, Chris, that's the very next one on my list. I'm glad you brought this up. <laughs> oh, it was crazy. And it was just like, you know, obviously, like, you know what it's all about. Like, I mean, this, this fire festival that was taking place down in like, you know, some exotic location in the Caribbean or something like that. And it's, but, it, but really at its at its core, it's this documentary about this. It, it's just so timely because it's about this guy who's basically just, he's a grifter. He's a con, con man. Artist. Yeah, yeah he just cons people out of this. He has he doesn't know what he's doing. He has no um, no skills of actually organizing or putting something together. And when it all falls apart, and when his world is falling apart, what does he do? He just continues trying to just grift and con people. He doubles just, down. <laughs> I'm like, man, oh man, it's just such such a timely you know uh, thing for it to come out. But uh, yeah, that was the other one that I watched, and and I and I enjoyed it too. I thought it was it was it was it was disturbing. But I, I did enjoy it. I have found like I, I love me a good documentary. When I, I me did the Toronto yeah. International Film Festival for almost 20 years in a row. I haven't done the last few years for a lot of different reasons, which we won't get into right now. But most years when I went to TIFF, I watched anywhere from 10 to 30 movies. Usually it was somewhere in that sort of middle zone around 20. And I would say every year when I was up around that 20, it was probably three or four of those were documentaries. And I find with uh, with Netflix and with uh, with Amazon Prime, there are a lot, uh, an insane amount of documentaries that are put out on a very regular basis. And and I'm learning a ton of stuff. And in many cases, like this fire one is nothing like I would never I had no idea what this was about. I heard some buzz about it when it first came out. And I thought, oh, let me give it a shot. And it was great. But now I find almost every week I, I go onto Netflix and I just go to the what's new in documentaries. And there's. Every week I find something and I go, oh, wow, that that could be good. They're not all gold, I'll admit, mm-hmm. but there are a lot of good ones. And the the ease by which filmmakers can make documentaries or any movie for that matter uh, makes it uh, makes it a lot easier for these people to put these together and, and share their message. And a lot of time a documentary has some sort of a political statement. It's it's there to educate you or, or try and persuade you on one way or another on, on a particular issue or shine a light on something that – is important enough that that people should know more about it. So, um, you know, everyone walks around with a phone in their pocket, and if you've got the latest iPhone, that's there are actual movies that have been shot on uh, on an iPhone. Uh, Steven Soderbergh uh, has shot a couple of movies. His latest one, High Flying Bird, that came out this year, if I remember correctly, was shot entirely on smartphones. And so the technology that you need to make a quality product from a, from a presentation point of view is easily available to everybody. Um, now whether or not you have the, the ability to tell a good story and frame the shot and, and all of that stuff, that's a whole other thing. But the technical limitations have been removed, which makes it more uh, accessible to more people to do these documentaries. And the streaming services are a great way 
to be entertained uh, and, and to learn more through these documentaries. Yeah, no, I agree. And, and another thing, just to shift gears a little bit and while staying on the, the streaming services is I'd like to just change gears from movies to TV because yeah, I've always been a, big, been a big TV guy. But there was two things on TV that I actually watched out of 2019, but both of them were on streaming services. So one was Ozark season two. So um, I had watched Ozark the first season and I really enjoyed it. And so season two was in 2019, and I, I don't know if you watch it or not, but I really like it. And now I'm a, in my spare time, as I've mentioned on the show before, I'm a, I'm a college professor. And one of the, the courses that I teach, I would teach a marketing course. And it's, it, to me, this Ozark is like a, a case study in marketing. Because, see, the thing is, Netflix has access to everybody's, you know, um, viewing habits. So they can easily look at something and go, hey, we need to develop a new show. Well, what are people What are people watching on our service? And they can look at it and go, well, you know what? Arrested Development was very, very popular. Lots of people liked watching Arrested Development on Netflix. And lots of people like watching Breaking Bad. Well, let's see if we can combine these two things together. Get Jason Bateman on the phone and ask him if he'd like to do a show where he's involved and like mixed up in some crime kind of thing. And so they're able to like kind of market their own type shows. And that's kind of the the birth of Ozark. At least that's the way I see it. But Ozark season two was great. I thought it was awesome. Did you you watch it or are you aware of it? I watched season one. I never got around to season two. It is on my watch list, and uh, I'm going to try and get to it in the next couple months because they've announced season three is on the way, and i got to make yes. sure I'm, I'm up to date before that comes out. I would definitely watch it. And the other one that I watched for 2019 was another season you know, in, in a series, and it was Stranger Things season three so i originally you know you know when season one came out i heard about it i was like oh i want to watch this so i got my wife to watch it and she's like oh this is pretty good (laughs) you know because because it's 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 a throwback it's like watching a gen x you know kind of you know time capsule right and um and so we watched season one we both enjoyed it season two was just okay for me but Season three, I thought was really strong. I thought it was really, really good. And it was entertaining. I really, really enjoyed it a lot. The one thing I liked about season two, uh, which we watched last year as well, even though I think it came out the year before, uh, season two, I liked the the finale, the last episode when the kids went to the dance. And it was this 80s dance and the one kid with the gap teeth had his hair all done up and he was still just couldn't fit in and nobody wanted to dance with them. And I just thought it was just such a good episode. But uh, season three was really, really good. I enjoyed that as well. So those are the two uh, TV series that I watched in 2019. How about you? Nice. Uh, had uh, I definitely had Stranger Things on my list. So um, a lot of the shows, like I, I still, I still subscribe to cable television. I, I haven't cut the cable cord yet. Me too. I still watch and it as well. My number one reason is I want to watch live hockey and I want it live and I don't want to be streaming it over the internet and have the internet crap out or or pixelated or delayed. I want live sports when I want my live sports. And I know there are services that are now starting to offer that, that are are more legit, that are offering better quality. And as soon as they get their hockey one done, bye-bye Rogers and Bell. I'm I'm done. I'm cutting the cable. But for now, I, I have old school TV and there are now only a handful of shows that I do still watch, partly just because... They're there, and I think that if and when I do cut the cable, uh, shows like Grey's Anatomy, I'm going to stop watching it because it's like the only reason I watch it is it's there. I can set the PVR and go, hey, there's a couple episodes on here. Um, But last year, uh, I had a few shows that I watched. Most of them are, quote, premium shows that were available through like HBO and cable services or Netflix streaming services. Uh, I'm just going to run out of this real quick, and then you and I can talk about a couple of them. Watched, uh, and, And these are all ones that I watched and enjoyed. 
um, Star Trek Discovery, Watchmen, Game of Thrones, Succession, Chernobyl, BoJack Horseman, and we already talked about Stranger Things, and then Big Mouth. So those were all shows that that put out new episodes this year. Some of those shows, like Game of Thrones, have been on for many years. And in this case, this was the year where we got the finale of Game of Thrones, which we did a whole podcast on. And uh, for better or worse, it's done. But it was it was capitally event television. People were watching mm-hmm. week to week. Uh, I, I still uh, stick to my guns and say that Watchmen was the absolute best thing I saw on TV this year. It was fantastic. The Chernobyl series... Uh, I think it's five episodes was an incredible cautionary tale that I encourage everyone to watch. It was great. I mean, it's entertaining and it's scary because it it really happened and it really emphasizes the the things that can go wrong when people basically say, I am not going to listen to you because I don't want to lose my job. And it's like, but people could die. They're like, yeah, but I don't want to be unemployed. And it's like, really? Like it really puts you into perspective sometimes that you have to look at the bigger picture. Um, uh, we talked about Stranger Things a bit. Big Mouth, animated series. Uh, but as we've talked about before, Big Mouth, not an animated series for children. Uh, put out a new season and it was fantastic. Um, Succession just won the Golden Globe for best dramatic series. Uh, I fully support that. I think that we're going to see in the coming years, Succession is going to become the new Game of Thrones slash Mad Men slash Sopranos kind of series where every year it's going to pick up all the nominations and it's just going to start sweeping all the big drama categories. It is a fantastic show. Uh, If you're not watching it and you have access to HBO or HBO on demand, I I encourage you to check it out. So most of these shows on my list are, are not on regular TV. I think Star Trek Discovery was the only one of those ones that was on regular television. And um, again, I think this is, this is where the quality programming is going. The best writers, showrunners, producers, they all want to tell a story. They don't want to have the restrictions that regular television network television puts on them. They don't want to do a, a series where they've got to produce 20 episodes. They want to tell their story. And if it takes nine episodes, it takes nine episodes. And if it takes 14, it takes 14. Or if it takes six, they don't want to be shackled to an arbitrary number simply because that's how traditional TV works. Mm-hmm. Um, like, could you imagine a show like Lost? Imagine if Lost could have done uh, – they ran for six seasons. And I think the last the last season or the last two seasons – were shorter, I think partly because of a writer strike. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also took a hiatus. And Yeah, but could you imagine if, if Lost had not had to follow that, we're going to do 20 episodes a season yeah. kind of It would have been a lot shorter, I think. Well, and I think that you, like, it was a quality show. Great uh, the show. last season sort of dipped a little bit, but I think that you could have tightened it up a little bit and sort of taken out some of the filler. Like, uh, there's the one episode, the Apollo episode, that people are like, why did you make this, this right. episode? had added nothing. It was absolutely just a filler episode and i think that with the cable streaming services or well they're not cable but the streaming services uh, the creative forces behind these shows have such tremendous freedoms they 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 can say bad words they can show nudity they can focus on mature concepts you can you can not that you need those things to have a good show but knowing you are free to explore them if they're uh, uh if you need to in order to tell the story you want to tell i think appeals to a lot of people in these art forms that uh, that are out there today. So I think this is what we're going to see more and more of the the quality programming when you get like if you look at the last year's Emmys and Golden Globes for television, almost every single person that was nominated, almost every single show that was nominated in almost every category was from the cable was from the um, 
either the the pay cable like HBO or, or they were from streaming. They were Amazon, Netflix, what have you. you. It's so rare now to look and find anything from ABC, CBS, NBC, Fox. Those those networks just aren't putting out the shows to the quality of everybody else. And and I think you're going to just see that continue to, to trend in that direction. Yeah. And going back to what we said earlier, like the way that, that people consume this, the, you know, their pop culture, their TV is totally changed. It gone are the days where there's an episode and you wait a week for another episode. They just drop the whole season. Like Stranger Things, you just drop all the episodes in one go so you can binge watch them all. I'm glad that you mentioned uh, Big Mouth because I remember back on episode 90, we had uh, Justin Mason on the show and we talked about what TV show should I binge watch next? And you mentioned Big Mouth and I've really enjoyed that show. And then Game of Thrones, obviously, because um, we had uh, Nathan Dawkins back on like episode 105 to talk about the Game of Thrones finale. I thought it was pretty good. But, uh, you know, yeah. that being said, I just wanted to just mention music for a second. Yeah, was, was there any music in 2019 that was impactful to you? Because there was just one for me and it wasn't impactful in a good way. So I, I like to pride myself among my peer group as being the only person that still listens to Top 40 radio. I want to I wanna know what the kids are listening to, Chris. And it's not because I have kids. It's because... I really like music and I want to stay on top of trends, even though I think I'm becoming that crusty old man who's like, music's not as good now as it was in my day. Uh, I'll admit that's certainly my feeling about a lot of them. But every now and then, hey, this is a great song. This is the first year, probably in the last 10 years, where I really didn't feel a connection to the top 40 radio and I just didn't put in the hours that I normally do listening to it. Uh, like I listen to the radio at work every day in the background while I'm working. And this year, less than any year in the past decade, I have very rarely put it to the top 40 channel. It has focused mainly on classic rock and eighties channel. And I don't know, I, I, I really need to work on it uh, next year to, to, to be more on top of the music. So I went back and I looked at like the billboards, top 100 lists before this podcast. And they had, like the top 20 were all linked to YouTube videos of all the songs. So I went back and listened to like the top 20 and I was like, I don't know any of these songs. I don't even, none of, they don't even sound familiar. There was like, I think two songs that I recognized because the performers had been on SNL. And other than that, it's like, I don't know any of this music. So not, not a good year in my mind. Again, I'm an old white guy. Uh, this old white guy isn't on top of hip hop music. And, uh, Yeah. Not not a big uh, music year for it's, me. It's interesting overall, like 2019, like you've said, you didn't really connect with in regard to the movies or the music. Um, so in regard to the music, there was, like I say, there was only one song that I'm even aware of from, from 2019 and because I've got young kids and it's just the way my life is. And just when I thought Billy Ray Cyrus had gone away, oh no, he came out with this song, Old Town Road. And my kids... Number Absolutely four on the love top it. Oh, they love this song. And so then I had to, to, to get it on iTunes and put it on their iPods for them. And so this is all I've been able to listen to is this stupid Old Town Road song. But yeah, same thing. I don't really like that. I look at more uh, from a personal perspective. 2019 is the year that I finally got my wife to watch Die Hard at Christmas time. And then the second thing is 2019 is finally the year that I convinced my wife to watch Meatballs with me. So that's... that's you my got both of those in just under the wire. I those know. Those were like both the last two weeks. I know. It was so good. Um, you mentioned uh, at the top of the show to talk about people that we lost in 2019. And there was quite a few for me that actually, you know, were quite impactful 
you know, I don't think there was a lot of major celebrities that we lost in the year, but there were some that were major to me. So I wanted to mention some of them. Um, Danny Aiello, mostly from one performance, and that was Sal and Do the Right Thing, but he died last year. And, and, and like I say, it was really just that one performance. I mean, Moonstruck, he was pretty good too, but he was so good in Do the Right Thing. And you and I have talked about, you know, that, that movie on the, the podcast before. And I mentioned even when we did that episode, like, I really liked his performance in that. Man, oh man, it was so impactful. And uh, so, yeah, losing him last year was 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 a big deal for me. Um, did you have anyone you mentioned you might have a couple that you want to talk about before I get into some more? Or well, what do you want I, to? I think you're going to have a pretty extensive list. So I'll mention a few, and uh, but I'll yeah. let you uh, sort of go on. So uh, Danny Aiello was on my list, but again, more just because we had reviewed Do the Right Thing and it just had its 20th anniversary, 20, 30th. When did it come out, 89? Oh, no, it came out in 89. It was 30 years ago. It had its 30th anniversary earlier this year, so we did a review on it. So I'd been reading a lot. So he was top of mind and and unfortunately passed away not long after that. Um, Peter Mayhew, who played the original Chewbacca in the Star Wars franchise. Yes. Again, not not someone you might recognize on the street simply because he's famous for playing a character that's in a Wookiee costume. But just the idea that he was there for all of those pivotal – Star Wars films, he was a part of that gang. And you see all the pictures of young Harrison Ford and young Mark Hamill and young Carrie Fisher. And in almost all of those pictures, there's Chewbacca right beside them. But you don't see Mayhew through the costume. So, yes, you know, I I felt sadness when when he passed. Um, And there was a lot of very touching internet tributes where people had done up various sketches and pictures and and Star Wars style memes, but in in a nice and memorable way. Uh, that certainly sort of made you, you know, appreciate his contribution to the Star Wars, uh, the original Star Wars saga. Um, so that he was one. And then um, another one of note, again, not so much emotional connection, but Luke Perry, who, mm-hmm. uh, you know, mm-hmm. became famous for 90210. So I, I was never a huge fan of 90210. I mean, I watched it from time to time. Um, I watched it mainly because the girls I knew watched it and you wanted to be able to talk to them about something. And as a teenager, when you're awkward. You need something to, uh, you know, start that conversation. So it's like, hey, did you watch Beverly Hills 90210 last night? And there you go. Mm-hmm. Um, I just, I sorry, I'll just, yeah. sorry, I don't think there were many Gen Xers out there that didn't at least watch some Beverly yeah. Hills 90210 when it was on the well, air, right? And for me, for me, Beverly Hills 90210, the reason that I, I, that I did stick with it from time to time was the characters in the show were exactly the same age I was. They started high school the year I started high school. They started college the year I started college. So some of the storylines I could really see myself in because it's like I am that age. I've done that or I know people that that had that problem and, and or maybe had a similar solution or whatever. Um, so from that point of view, when Luke Perry died, it sort of made me think, well, I know he was an actor playing a younger character. So the person Luke Perry is older than me. But in my mind, I – keep envisioning him as as Dylan, who was the character that is my age. So when I heard he died, I thought, geez, this is like someone my age has died. Uh, and then I had to sort of go, oh, no, wait, he was actually 10 years older. But, mm-hmm. but that, still that was for sort him, of what hit it for me was I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm 45 years old, which is not that old. And you start to think like, you know, I have some friends and family and, and people close to me that maybe don't take care of themselves as well as they should. And there's a reasonable chance that this could be the start of, you know, in the not too distant future, there's going to be things mm-hmm. where, oh, so-and-so 
has a heart problem or so-and-so has had an accident due to some health condition or something. So for that one, it was a little more of an eye-opener. Not so much that it was, oh my God, Luke Perry's gone. I bawled my eyes out. Like, again, terrible that he died and, and I feel bad for his family and his fans. But for me, it was more of the the realistic wake-up call to myself of, geez, you know, time to do a little more exercise, eat a few more vegetables and cut back a little bit on some of the, the bad things. So, well, yeah, because, I mean, he did die young. I mean, even though oh, he didn't, sure. even though he didn't do a whole lot else, he was a big Gen X pop culture figure. I mean, oh, he, he inspired a whole fashion trend just with the sideburns, you know, like, I mean, that was a big deal, right? And sort of tying it all back, one of the movies that came out this year that I, I actually did enjoy was Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the Quentin Tarantino movie. Mm-hmm. So that, again, that's going to be uh, a big nominee for the Oscars that are going to be uh, the, the Oscars coming out soon. So that was Luke Perry's last on-screen performance. He doesn't have a huge part, but the part he has was pretty good. Excuse me. And um, and so, you know, it was sort of a, a, a nice sort of tip of the hat right at the end. It's like, you know, you hear he died and then a month later you see him in this movie and the movie's a big success and he's got this small part, but he does a really good job. And it's like, you know, that's that's when you look at someone's IMDb credits and that's sort of the last thing on their list. That's something that's that good. You're like, you know, you, you did OK, all things considered. Mm-hmm. So. so a couple of names I want to throw out there again. They, they meant something to me, maybe not to everybody else. John Witherspoon. I, he was a stand-up comic, and I remember seeing him on David Letterman. It would have been uh, like late '80s, early '90s, and he did this bit about like this thong, <laughs> and he was like, "It was like, oh, please be there, thong, please be there." If anyone that's ever seen it, you probably might remember it. But I just remember laughing like crazy, and, and I remember thinking, "Who is this guy?" And he never made it big, you know. But I think if you're a big fan of stand-up. You know, you could really appreciate uh, John Witherspoon. He was a funny guy. Um, I think also when we start to lose musicians who we grew up listening to, it hits home a little bit. And one guy that I always really, really liked, and I also felt he was a bit underrated and underappreciated, was Eddie Money. And he's one of those guys that when he died, I remember mentioning it to my wife. And she was like, well, who's Eddie Money? And I'm like, well, he's saying... Take me home tonight. She's like, oh, him. You know, and baby, hold on. Oh, him. Two tickets to paradise. Oh, yeah, that guy. You know, like it's one of those guys. It just was so impactful. Um, Another one was Rip Torn. And I think a lot of people probably remember him from Gen X from It's Gary Shandling Show. Or millennials probably know him best from Dodgeball. But to me, he will always be Scully. In Summer Rental with John Candy. And for those of you that haven't seen it, or Derek, I don't know if you've seen that movie. It's been a long time. But you have seen it, right? He was the captain of this. boat captain? Yeah, he was the captain of this, like, broken down ship called the Barnacle. And he helped John Candy get it all fixed up, and they sailed it in this regatta race against Richard Crenna. And anyone that's seen Summer Rental knows exactly what I'm talking about. And, okay, so... I know I tend to overstate things a little bit, but I always thought that Rip Torn's role as Scully, even though it was a comedy, I felt it was worthy of an Oscar nomination for Best Supporting Actor. Now, the year that it came out, I mean, Don Amici won that year, and he was really deserving for Cocoon. And I think he also probably won because he had a long career, 
you know, the Academy was rewarding him for that year. But you cannot tell me that Rip Torn wasn't at least as good as Eric Roberts in Runaway Train. I mean, you know, like I thought, I don't know. I thought Rip Torn was really good. Tim Conway died last year and obviously known for starring on the Carol Burnett show. But I remember being a kid when Tim Conway had his own show. And I think it was only around for like parts of two seasons. But I remember the opening shot was this big Tim on the stage and he would open the eye and walk out and do a monologue and uh, his scenes though with back on the Carol Burnett show with Harvey Corman. oh man some of them were really really good and then I, just just a couple more I just want to mention Philip McKeon he didn't do much and I'm not even sure how he died I think that they just stated like he had this sort of long time illness or something but when I was a kid I used to love the TV show Alice. And Philip McKeon played Alice's son Tommy on that show. And I, to be honest, I don't think there was a sitcom that I watched more than Alice when I was a young kid. I really, really liked that show a lot. And with so much, it's funny, we mentioned all this stuff that's available through the internet now. This is one show that I have really looked for, but also really struggled to find. I have one DVD that I found in a pawn shop once that has like five episodes on it. They're great. But it's not been a show that I've really been able to find and go back and rewatch. But two other ones I want to mention, Carol Spinney. So maybe two years ago now, I was going to go see um, Fonzie, my favorite person in the whole wide world, who I love more than anything else, at Hamilton Comic-Con. And I was all ready to go, and, and Carol Spinney was going to be there too. And I told my son he was going to come with me. And we were I was so excited because I get to meet Fonzie, Henry Winkler, and Carol Spinney. And then Fonzie, I don't know if he got sick or something happened. And he, he won an Emmy and got too big for your well, little convention. that's what the rumor was. But then I looked into it, but he canceled a couple other ones. I don't know. What, maybe that was, I don't know. No, I'm just messing with you. Yeah. I have no idea why he canceled. Yeah, I don't know. I don't want to, I don't want to besmirch his, his memory. So, uh, so uh, anyway, Fonzie couldn't, couldn't go to the Comic-Con. So I didn't end up going. So I'm like, well, I don't want to, I don't want to go. You know, I'm not going to go if Fonzie's not there. But I really also wanted to see Carol Spinney. And so Carol Spinney was a puppeteer. And he was on Sesame Street. He did Oscar the Grouch and Big Bird. And then I, after, like, I didn't go. And I was like, oh, I'm really disappointed. I didn't get a chance to meet Carol Spinney. And then I heard that he was going to retire. I thought, oh, shoot. Now I'm really disappointed I get, didn't get to meet him. And then last year he died. So I'm like, oh, man, I'm really, really ticked off. But the last one that I want to mention is a very obscure person. And his name is Neil Innes. So there's this movie and this sort of phenomenon called The Ruddles. And it all kind of started as a gag on the old Saturday Night Live show. Lauren Michaels tried to get the Beatles to reunite and come on the show. And he offered them a million dollars to come on the show and do one song. Because I, I remember he was like, you guys can divide it up any way you want. You know, if you want to give Ringo less, that's fine. And then George Harrison ended up coming on the show and there was this bit that he did with him where, you know, he felt he should get the whole million and Lauren felt he should only get a quarter of it and all this. And then they ended up announcing that they got a videotape of the band and it turned out, but it's not the Beatles, it's the Ruddles. And then people were like, what's this? And it was this spoof of the Beatles and this kind of minor phenomenon was born 
but it's something that I absolutely completely loved. And it was the Ruddles. And so there was this documentary back in like the early 80s called The Complete Beatles. And it was all about the, the band, how they formed like their early gigs, you know, right up to where they broke up. And the Ruddles was almost like a shot for shot remake of the documentary, but it was about this fictional band, the Ruddles. And I used to watch it on the movie network as a kid and I just loved it. And I was always a big Beatle fan as a kid. So I just thought this movie was just great. And it was like Eric Idle and John Halsey and Rick Fatar and Neil Innes. And Neil Innes played sort of the John Lennon character in the group and he wrote all the songs. But the thing was this, even though it was a parody, the songs were almost as good as the original Beatles songs. And I know, you know, it seems like, you know, I exaggerate from time to time and it's, it seems crazy, but it was true. Like, so any fans out there that, that love the Ruddles, you know, you can back me up, tweet at Derek and tell him the Ruddles were amazing. Derek, I'm telling you what, I'm going to nominate the Ruddles for an upcoming podcast. So just be ready for it because I want you to watch this movie. But anyway, Neil Innes died this past year. And for me, it it was actually sad for me because, like I say, I love the Ruddles. Now, Derek, you were a fan of Monty Python, weren't you? Oh, absolutely. So remember when they released a movie called Live at the Hollywood Bowl? I have never seen it, but I am familiar with it. You're familiar with it. I think I've heard the audio of most of it. Yeah. I've seen bits on YouTube and stuff. Yeah. It's basically just a bunch of live sketches that they did at the Hollywood Bowl. And in the middle of all their live sketches, Neil Innes sits down at the piano. And I remember he sings this song called How Sweet to Be an Idiot. And I remember watching it as a kid and thinking, who is this guy? And it wasn't until... Like years later, like in the 90s, when I really started to get into the old SNL shows and I was watching them all on video and I was able to get, you know, a lot of it on video. And that's when I really got back into the Ruddles. And, but through everything, Neil Innes never really reached any, any level of fame. You know, he was just this sort of amazingly talented guy. But for those of us that know his work and love his work, he'll always be a special guy. He will be to be. He's always going to hold a really special place in my heart as someone who had a big impact on me in regard to pop culture. So I wanted to mention Neil Innes. Excellent. Uh, I want to make a show note correction here. Mm-hmm. You had mentioned when you were talking about Rip Torn mm-hmm. that people would remember him from uh, It's Gary Shandling's show. Mm-hmm. Uh, he was actually on The Larry Sanders Show. Oh, so sorry. It was just, The Larry I know Sanders. I we're tweets on that. So I, as soon as you said it, I'm like, I'm going to write this down. Yes. Um, and the other thing that I always remember Rip Torn for was Men in Black. Oh, yes, the, he the, was in the that first too, one wasn't with he? Will Smith. Yeah, yeah, he was the, uh, I, I want to say it was Agent Zed. He was the the head of the the organization. So that that's where I always remember him from too. He had some great See, this is where about. I need you to correct me because like the Larry Sanders, remember this is, like this is, it took place after 1989. So I don't know what this oh. stuff is. But uh, And then uh, one last shout out in the RIPs. Again, I didn't want to slip yeah. on your toes. So no. I didn't go down the full list. One that I think uh, we do absolutely need to mention is John Singleton. John Singleton, yeah, uh, yeah, writer, director, producer, Boys in the Hood, Poetic Justice, Higher Learning. Uh, he was a pioneer, uh, African-American film director, writer, producer. He was uh, one of the guys that, you know, broke down the walls and started to to open doors for other people to come and follow in his wake and build on, uh, you know, what? How, how does it say that, you know, standing on the shoulders of giants? Mm-hmm. He's one of those giants that today's, um, upcoming yeah. African-American um, producers, directors, writers 
can stand on the shoulders of John Singleton and say, I'm able to do what I'm doing in part because this pioneer did such great work and took risks and, and had such tremendous success with projects that were unlike anything else being produced at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe he was uh, relatively young when he died. He yeah, was he was 50, in his 51. yeah 50s, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, uh, R.I.P. John Singleton. I think that uh, time, time will tell when people look back on 2019, 10 years from now, and they, they do an in-memoriam like we just did. I think you're going to see Singleton is, is at the top of many of those lists or definitely in the top five as as a, a, a filmmaking pioneer who – uh, we lost too soon and who we missed dearly and who uh, could have potentially done so many more great things had he had a few more years ahead of him. Awesome. Good stuff. Well, that's a look back on 2019. Now it's time to have some fun with Caveman. All right, bud. Now, we were looking back on 2019. And, you know, obviously we didn't just wrap up a year, but we wrapped up a whole decade. So I got thinking. You know, for me, and I, I, I harp on this all the time on the podcast, but for me, like the 70s have a feel and the 80s have a feel to them. The 90s even have a feel. But for me, the crotchety old man that I am, the 2000s and the 2010s do not have a feel. They just, sorry, they just don't. Fight me. You know, I don't care. So I decided to see how much you can tell apart the 2000s from the 2010s. I'm going to give you an event. You tell me if it happened in the 2000s, like 2000 to 2009, or if it happened in the 2010s, 2010 to 2019. Got it? Okay, let's let's do it. Pretty this. straightforward. Okay. Avatar is released in theaters. 2000s or 2010s? 2000s. Yes, it was. 2009. Okay, Barack Obama becomes the first African-American U.S. president. That is, uh, let's see, 2020, that would have been, what, 2008? I'm going to say that was in the 2000s. It was, correct. Okay, PSY releases Gangnam Style. Yeah, that was like four or five years ago, so that was in the 2010s. Yeah, it was uh, 2012. Yeah. Okay, Michael Jackson died. When did Michael Jackson die? Ooh, uh, ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I'm going to say the 2000s. Yes, it was 2009. Okay. Wow. The first episode, we mentioned the last episode, but when did the first episode of Game of Thrones air on HBO? The 2000s or the 2010s? Oh, I think I remembered hearing that it was on the air for eight years. So I'm going to say since we're, we were in 2019, that would have been 2011. I'm going to say the 2010s. You are correct. Oh, okay. yeah. See, I know my the, nerd culture. You do. The first Xbox console was released. 2000s I, or 2010s? Uh, let's say the 2000s, sure. You are correct. Okay, hey, it was 2001. J.K. Rowling published the Deathly Hallows novel in the 2000s or the 2010s? Uh, I think I think the movie came out around 2010, 2011. So I'm going to think the book was a couple years ahead of that. So I'm going to say the 2000s. That is correct. It came out in 2007. Okay, Pokemon Go is released. Uh, that was just a couple of years ago, so that's the 2010. It was the 2010. The Walking Dead premieres on AMC. Wow, that's a good one. Uh, oh, that one's probably older than I... I'm wondering, if was that before Game of Thrones? I think it was. I'm going to say the 2000s. 
it was in October 31st, 2010. I'm sorry, you're oh. incorrect. Okay, Apple adds emojis to their operating system in the yeah. 2000s or the 2010s? I don't know. They feel like they've been around forever. I'm going to say the 2000s. No, it was in uh, 2011. Oh, wow. Okay. Okay, Beyonce and Jay-Z tie the knot. 2000s or 2010s? I'm going to say the 2010s. No, it was 2008. Yeah, I know they got a couple of kids, so I'm like, uh, no. Okay. Okay. The Hurt Locker wins the Oscar for Best Picture. Great movie. That was the 2000s. Uh, No, it was the 2010s. Bit of a trick question because the film was released in 2009, but they won the Oscar. The ceremony took place in February of 2010. Yeah, and that 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 one's a real trick question mm-hmm. because I I mentioned this before on the podcast that premiered at the Toronto Film Festival in two thousand and eight mm-hmm. and didn't get a theatrical release until a year later in two thousand and nine. Derek, I will always love you. Whitney Houston dies. When did she die? Two thousands or two thousand and tens? I don't know. Two thousands. No, it was the two thousand and tens. I'm sorry. See, even you who loves pop culture. From the current generation. It's really hard to tell apart these. If I had asked you questions about the 70s, 80s, 90s, you'd have known. But some of these are pretty hard. Most of the ones I missed were about music. And in all fairness, music's the thing that I I am the least connected to when it comes to the new stuff, as we already talked about earlier. I don't know. The Hurt Locker, Apple, Walking Dead. I don't know. Not exactly music related. But it is. I think it's just hard. I just, I truly feel that you know, since we've gone into the, the new millennium, that it's it's a little harder. Like things are a little bit, they're not as well-defined. That's just my thought anyway. So Chris, before we, uh, we I, I agree with you, but before mm-hmm. we wrap this up, I, I think as two Canadian guys who are both from the Toronto or greater Toronto area, more or less, Barry's pretty much part of the greater Toronto area. Yeah, just outside uh, of the city. I, I think that we can't talk about 2009 without at least acknowledging the Toronto Raptors. I'm not a big basketball fan, mm-hmm. but... The Kyle Lowry shot, the buzzer beater, arguably one of the the most famous things in basketball. Well, definitely the most important thing in basketball that happened last year. Probably you could argue one of the best shots, most important shots, most significant shots ever. I I think we we would be remiss, even though we're not doing a sports podcast, to talk about it in the context of a pop culture moment. Uh, I I listen to a lot of different uh, pop culture podcasts, and this particular – the the buzzer beater the shot capital T capital S the shot made most of the top ten lists that I listened to of important pop culture moments from 2019. So I, I think we'd be remiss if we don't mention that. As well. I think that's a good thing to mention too because I lived in Toronto like back in the early 90s when the the Raptors first came about with Damon Stoudemire and stuff and I liked him but I thought it was really great but uh, you know they were terrible for a long time so it was really nice to see and it was really a phenomenon like everywhere I went like people were into the Raptors so that was a, that was a good one to mention. Okay so things are over to you. It's it's your turn. Now to nominate a film for us to watch for our next show. So uh, what would you like me to watch? Usually it's a, it's a so, millennial film. It's something newer. So what are you going to pull out uh, for me? Uh, so I am going to go way back. I'm, I'm oh, Normally I try and wow. get something newer. but Normally uh, you do. It's something a newer film. Previous shows we have... Previous shows we have... Um, 
talked about things in the course of conversation, you'll say, oh, I haven't seen that movie. Or I'll say, oh, I've never seen that movie. Mm -hmm. So you had mentioned on a previous show in 2019 that you had never seen this movie. And I made a note of it thinking, we're coming back to that. Okay. So I am going to ask you to watch the very first Alien movie directed by Ridley Scott starring Sigourney Weaver. Alien, the first one. No S on the end. Right. It's like from 1979, right? It's from the – I don't have the date in front of me. But yeah, it's from the 70s. Um, I, I strongly encourage you to watch it all in one sitting. I, again, I don't know if you're the kind of person who watches 45 minutes and pauses and goes no, get no, I watch gets the whole a snack thing. and comes back. But this is one of those ones where I, I strongly encourage you to sit down, get comfortable, turn off the lights, turn up the turn up the, the screen because uh, the movie itself is very dark in a lot of places. Mm-hmm. And I think if you watch it in a dark room, it's really just going to build on that atmosphere. I'd like you to watch Alien. Okay. We'll come back next week. We'll talk about it. Sounds like a plan. Uh, I'm, I'm hoping, fingers crossed, that you'll enjoy it. It is from the 70s, which is right in your wheelhouse. So I was mm-hmm. really surprised when you said you had not seen it before. Um, and we'll talk about it. We'll talk about uh, the good, the bad, the, the the importance of it as a science fiction film and, and uh, the, the pop culture relevance of it and why it still holds up, why I feel it still holds up. And we'll do all of that next week. I think this is a great nomination because I remember even when Yancey was on the show, I had mentioned to him that I'd never seen Alien and he was shocked because he liked it. And he was, you know, he's this millennial guy and he's like, oh, I love Alien. I'm like, I've never seen it. So this is a great opportunity for me to go back and watch a movie from my generation that I have not yet seen. And we'll see if I enjoy it. I've, I've always heard good things about it. So we'll see if I enjoy it. Um, I'll tell you what, though, uh, until next time, um, if you want to get in touch with Derek, you can find him on Twitter at Amaron underscore DM. As I mentioned before, you'll find me at C McBrien on Twitter or popcozierworld.com if you'd like to go to our website and find all our contact information there. Until next time, this is Chris McBrien for Derek Meyer saying thanks for listening to Pop Cozier World, the pop culture podcast for the generations. Thanks for listening to Pop Goes Your World. You can contact Chris and Derek at popgoesyourworld.com. Please take a minute and review the podcast on iTunes or wherever you download and listen to the show. 